Rick Samprin in for Bill Kelly today on the Bill Kelly Show podcast. Hamilton's mayor is calling the Ford government's latest move haphazard and one that could significantly affect your tax bill. Three more inmates at the Barton Street Jail have been treated for overdoses and a group called Handmaid's Local 905 has been formed following controversial comments about abortion from Niagara West Conservative MPP Sam Oosterhoff. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. To begin the day, Hamilton's mayor is calling the Ford government's latest move haphazard and one that could significantly affect your tax bill. Well, Premier Doug Ford is offering more than $7 million to pay for large municipalities and school boards to review their budgets in an effort to find savings after they warned that all these provincial cuts that are coming down is going to result in layoffs and service reductions. But Mayor Fred Eisenberger issued a statement last night saying basically Premier Doug Ford is calling for municipalities to cut their budgets in year by 4% and it shows a lack of consideration for municipal budgets. Saying this could mean that local taxpayers are going to face cuts to services or property tax increases or perhaps both. Let's bring in our first guest. She's the Conservative MPP for Flamborough Glanbrook. Her name is Donna Skelly, and she joins us now on The Bill Kelly Show. Donna, how are you? I'm great, Rick. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for joining us today. Um, Should municipalities be finding savings in the midst of a budget that they've already passed? This is going to be tough. It's going to be tough, but finding efficiencies is what we were really elected to do. We were elected last year to address uh, a massive deficit of $15 billion, a debt uh, in excess of $380 billion, and it's not an easy job. I think all governments, regardless of what time of the calendar or fiscal year, should be looking at ways of doing things better with less because taxpayers are tapped out, and and our government uh, is really doing this. It would be much easier, Rick, to simply... Uh, mimic what the previous government did, and that is travel across Ontario and hand out checks, money that we simply didn't have. But we said, no, we're going to do things differently. We are going to protect the taxpayer and their, their dollars and ensure that things that matter most to Ontarians, public health care, public education, are protected. And in order to do that, we have to find savings because the current path or the path that the previous government was on simply wasn't sustainable. Cities claim that they can't cut anymore. You were a councillor in the city not too long ago. What can be trimmed? I think there are a lot of things that can be trimmed, but even before they, they have to trim anything, and I identified many ways of saving money when I was on council, but one thing that this government is offering to uh, municipalities who are beholden by something called uh, closed tendering, uh, last year we, we passed legislation that will allow the five municipalities who have a closed shop, in other words, when they put projects out for bid, um, only one particular union uh, can be used for for some construction, and that really prohibits the number of companies willing to put in bids. And it by restricting the number of companies that bid on projects, you're driving up the cost. And the municipalities that have uh, closed tendering are Hamilton, Toronto, Sault Ste. Marie, and Kitchener. And we are simply saying, you now, as a, as a municipality, 
have the option to open it up to tendering. And once you open it, you will find millions and millions and millions of dollars in savings. Behind the scenes, a number of councillors encouraged us to move that legislation forward. We did. We passed it. Now it's up to the municipality to vote on that coming up uh, very soon, whether they want to keep the status quo, which really makes the cost of doing business in Hamilton in terms of public infrastructure much more expensive, or do they want to find savings and ensure that taxpayers are getting value for money and and opt into uh, the, the or opt out of the current status and and have open tendering. Our guest is Flamborough Glanbrook Conservative MPP Donna Skelly here on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Rick in for Bill. Mayor Fred Eisenberger saying the taxpayers are going to face cuts to services or property tax increases or both. Do you disagree? I do. I really do. I believe that you know we're we're giving the city a, a billion dollar LRT, and we're simply saying you know as part of our ability to pay for these kinds of infrastructure investments to invest in more hospitals and that we all have to do our part. We're asking the city to to identify four four cents on the dollar in savings, which I I really think is reasonable. When I was at city council, some of the stories that came up, of course, was uh, we were spending forty million dollars a year on consultants just last week. Uh, there was a local report on the fact that the city was paying employees uh, who were working five hours a day an eight-hour wage. And, and it's those types of things that you can find and efficiencies you can find that will help all of us meet our objectives. And, you know, we're offering to pay for an independent auditor to come in and do the work for the city. And I think that this is really important to have that independent, fresh look at our books I believe we all, even in our own household, even though we have set our monthly budget, if we see gas that's cheaper or we can find um, a grocery store that's offering uh, a sale, we're going to go and and seek out the savings and put it aside because we know then that we have extra money in our pocket to put towards a vacation or to help pay the mortgage. So we're all doing our part throughout the year. I think municipalities can do it. And don't forget, you know, uh, this is a really good way of municipalities, including Hamilton, to find those efficiencies. Take advantage of what the Premier is offering, $7.35 million to cover the cost of an independent auditor. And don't forget, back in 2006, when the mayor of Hamilton was running, he said he wanted to. If he won, he was going to have an independent auditor paid for by Hamilton taxpayers. We're now saying, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll actually meet your promise from your 2006 platform, and we'll cover the cost of an independent auditor and help you find those savings. What if communities can't find that 4% in savings? Will the province go in and say, all right, you've got to cut this, this, and that? No, but they'll be able to find it. I think that they can find it. And when we're talking about you know, restructuring and that, there are savings. For example, in, in the public health boards, um, many people, uh, many of these boards, and whether it's public health or education or any other uh, ministry, they often have numerous um, employees who, for example, are in charge of communications or public relations. But you don't necessarily need four people sending out the same notice on rabies or, or, or um, uh, ticks. I mean, our, we may have these artificial, if you will, boundaries that we have created, Hamilton's municipality, municipality of Halton and, and Niagara, but rabies doesn't see boundaries, and, and people themselves don't necessarily live within these artificial boundaries. They work and live and, and cross through municipalities constantly. Fifty percent of people in Hamilton actually work outside of Hamilton, so to suggest that 
that uh, regions can't come together and work together to deliver similar messages, I think is is uh, disingenuous. I think that we can work together, and it's it's a very natural way of finding ways of of uh, finding savings and still maintaining um, good services to to people across the province. Last one for you. What's the deadline for municipalities to come back to the province and say, hey, here's all our savings? I don't know, to be very honest with you, but I do hope that this province, uh, that the minis- municipality, that the city recognizes that there are things that we can do and we can do better, as there are at the pro- provincial level. I know that we would welcome it, you know, and we do. We encourage people to say, this is something I think you can do better and you can save money. We're simply saying, work with us. We will pay. As I said, the current mayor of Hamilton said he wanted an independent auditor when he ran in 2006. We're saying, don't worry about it. You don't have to ask your taxpayers to pay for it. The premier's offered to pay for it. I think they should take advantage of it. It's a great way of of finding efficiencies in the city of Hamilton and helping us all protect what matters most for Ontarians. Miss Kelly, appreciate the time. Thank you. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let's welcome our next guest. Her name is Sandy Shaw, Hamilton West Ancaster Dundas, New Democrat MPP, joins the show. Sandy, good morning. Good morning. Where's the NDP coming at uh, this issue? Well, I mean, what, where we're coming from is that what this government is calling efficiencies are cuts. I mean, these are cuts to frontline service programming that people rely on. I mean, when it comes to the municipality, uh, what the city of Hamilton is delivering are critical services. I mean, they, they run the paramedics. They run long-term care homes, daycare. I mean, we have a lot of conversation about, about public health. So these are critical services. And uh, to just label them as finding efficiencies or savings is really disrespectful to the kind of uh, work that uh, municipalities, not just Hamilton, across Ontario are already doing to ensure that they're delivering a good value for local taxpayers. I find there's two parts to this story. You know, I don't, I don't take issue that the provincial government is offering to pay for an auditor to come in and look at municipalities' books. I think, you know, that, that's okay. You want to do some checks and balances, that's fine. The, the, the question that I have is that, you know, what is going to be found and what can be cut that doesn't affect services or taxes? And, uh, I mean, that's the million-dollar question. Can both of those be achieved or even one of those be achieved? Kind of a billion-dollar question, yeah. actually. <laughs> well, can I, I just have to say that only Doug Ford, uh, you know, could cut billions from municipalities and then spend millions to try and justify those cuts. And so, you know, if they want to offer this up, uh, this to have a line-by-line auditor come in, it's kind of a gimmick, and I think people will see through that. And really, we know the city of Hamilton, the muni- when they, they go through a very robust line-by-line uh, pro- process already to find efficiencies, and we're, we're at, or, or to, to make sure that what they're delivering is, is is effective, and and the very fact that um, there's this notion that that there's fluff in there or that these services are already not um, you know well planned and reviewed is really disrespectful. And I think that's the really important part here is that uh, that this is a the city's gone through a very um, you know, they've gone through their budget. They've come up with, a, a, you know, an increase for many years that's at or below inflation, trying to protect, uh, you know, residential taxpayers, at the same time protect services. And, you know, when they, the government forward just throws out these ideas of modernization and efficiencies, and he's talking about four cents on every dollar. I mean, that, that's 4%, let's just say that. And for the city of Hamilton, a 1% uh, increase, that 1% increase in taxes is about $8 million. 
So these these are not just you know side of the desk cuts. These are cutting into services that people expect to be there when they need them. Paramedics. I mean, they're they're introducing in the middle of a, a budget year changes to paramedics and creating you know sort of chaos and uncertainty in a life saving mission critical service. This is on top of the $9 million in cuts Hamilton has already had to do because of downloading from the province. That's right. And, I mean, that's, let's just call this what this is. This is, uh, you know, the, the large municipalities across the province have called this downloading by stealth. And the conservative governments are known, it's kind of their DNA, that they are known to solve their problems, their, their financial problems. They just dump it onto the municipal, uh, municipal taxpayers. And I think that it's been said, and it's quite true, that, that if uh, municipalities are put into a position, as they are now, where they have no choice but to cut into services, not find efficiencies, but cut into services like child care, you know, like the public health units. If they can't cut those services, then they're going to have to raise taxes. And the municipalities across Ontario have said they're going, that they really think that they're going to have to call this the Ford tax because, you know, like news flash to the premier, uh, a, a tax is a tax. So whether, you know, they're saying they're saving tax dollars at the provincial level, but if they're all just downloading those costs to the municipal level, level people are going to have to pay that one way or another. At the end of the day, we're always going to be paying taxes. Sandy, I wish we had a little more time. Thanks for joining us this morning. Oh, oh you're very welcome. You have a great day. You too. Sandy Shaw, Hamilton West, Ancaster, Dundas, NDP, MPP. Yes, at the end of the day, whether we're paying for these services at a provincial level or a local level, we're still going to be paying for them. Uh, but man, oh man, finding 4% more efficiencies in a city budget the size of Hamilton, that's going to take some doing. Good luck to City Council and the Mayor for sure. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. It has happened again. Three more inmates at the Barton Street Jail have been treated for overdoses. Three more. Two women and a man at the Hamilton-Wentworth Detention Center were treated in hospital after suspected opioid overdoses inside the jail Monday night. Now this comes just days after three other women were treated in a separate overdose incident last Thursday and a month after a woman died after a suspected overdose at the same jail. Now last year, you recall, there was an inquest held in Hamilton that examined eight overdose deaths of inmates at the jail between 2012 and 2016. That inquest ended with 62 recommendations for change. The province claims it has or is in the process of implementing 80% of those 62 recommendations. However, inmates are continuing to A, get access to these illicit drugs, and B, overdosing, being sent to hospital. Victims' families have held numerous rallies outside the jail. They've even met with Solicitor General Sylvia Jones in an effort to solve this issue. There's another rally that's going to be held on May 27th at the Hamilton-Wentworth Detention Center. Ryan McKechnie was 34 years of age when he died on June 29th, 2017, while in custody at the Hamilton-Wentworth Detention Center. And we have his sister on the line. Amy McKechnie joins us now on The Bill Kelly Show. Amy, good morning. Good morning. I'm not sure where to start, but I guess we'll start with, you know, considering everything that has happened over the last number of years, the continued overdoses at the Hamilton-Wentworth Detention Center 
is just absurd. It is. It, it, I mean, my heart stops and I feel sick to my stomach every single time. And to have six overdoses in four days, it, it's just, it, there's no words. It's unbelievable. It, it, it's lunacy. It, I mean, it, you can throw a number of words out there. It's just un- unbelievable. Exactly. Where, where do we begin? I mean, you and a bunch of other uh, uh, family members who have had victims, who've uh, whether they've been lost because of overdoses or are still, uh, you know, at the jail and continuing to go through this, what do you think should be happening? Uh, there needs to be. I mean, they're they're stating. So Sylvia Jones stated that the recommendations have been put in place, but clearly. Something is not being done because all these people are overdosing and some of them are dying and it needs there needs to be programs for these people. There needs to be um, first aid training for these people. There needs to be more naloxone available. The drugs need to stop getting in. Like they have scanners and x-rays, so how are they all getting in still? That that to me is probably where it starts. I mean, how are these drugs getting getting into the jail number one? I mean, that that to me is, uh, uh, you stop that and I think you halt the problem because without that, nothing else is going to happen. Um, Exactly. Solicitor General Sylvia Jones, you mentioned her that uh, obviously uh, victim families have met with her. What exactly has she said that has occurred, that that some of the recommendations that have been implemented? Um, Well, so she stated about the x-ray scanners, which were already there. And she stated about um, drug-sniffing dogs that are in a few facilities, or one, I believe. She also mentioned 24-hour nursing in only 11 facilities, but couldn't mention which ones. She didn't know. There was a lot of things that we would ask her point-blank questions, and she didn't know the answer to a lot of them. Which obviously is frustrating. It is. I mean, especially when she's the one that makes the decisions on these um, recommendations, and and you don't know, like, how do you not know if you're the one making making the decision on it? It almost sounds like, uh, you know, the, the inquest uh, was held. It made, uh, as we know, 62 recommendations. They're all extremely important. But it seems like the province is just saying, yeah, we'll get to it when, when we get to it. When they feel like it, yeah. They don't care about these people. They don't look at them as people. Just like, the, I mean, when you see a news article, you see all the nasty comments that a lot of people make. They're still people. My brother had a face, he he had a name, he had a family that loved him. He didn't deserve to die in there. You know, we don't live in a third world country, and we don't have the death penalty. So there's no reason for all these people to be coming out in body bags. That's the thing I don't think uh, enough people realize, is that, you know, they, they just hear the statistics. You know, three more inmates uh, on Monday, uh, yeah. uh, you know, two women and a man, three women from last week, uh, you know, the, the eight overdose deaths that were part of the inquest. They're hearing all these numbers, but they don't necessarily see the people behind those numbers. Exactly. They don't know what led them to where they are or, or how they got it or, or what's going on. We don't know. We're not in there. Can you share a little bit of Ryan's story? Um, Ryan had been in there for a few months. Um I mean, we weren't even notified. The day he passed away, my dad had pa- our our dad passed away the same day, and I was notified from my brother's best friend that he had passed. The jail didn't contact us. Wow. We we had to go down there and confirm after my dad had passed. The, these things need to change. It's not okay for you to for them to treat people like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you get any information on on what happened in the in the uh, hours or minutes leading up to 
Ryan's passing? No. All, so all they stated was that Ryan was fine at breakfast, and then he was found unresponsive in his cell. Mm-hmm. But according to his postmortem report that I have, Ryan didn't wake up. So how is he fine at breakfast? Right. And there was a sweep of his cell the night before, and it tested positive for fentanyl. This is all in his postmortem report. So why did they leave him in there? Why did they not do a wellness check and wake him up in the night? They could have saved my brother's life. And and you're left with not only not having a brother, but you're left with all these unanswered questions as well. Exactly. Yep. My brother was 34 years old. He had so much life left to live. He had two daughters to help raise. Do you feel the lack of action uh, is a sign maybe of disrespect towards the victims and their families? Oh, for sure. For sure. They think it's just another inmate, so who cares? Let's thin the herd, a lot of people say. Let's take out the trash. Let's just tag them and bag them and throw them away with the garbage. Who cares? We're chatting with uh, Amy McKechnie, sister to Ryan McKechnie, who passed away of an overdose in uh, 2017 at the uh, Hamilton Wentworth Detention Center, um, talking about three more inmates at the Barton Street Jail being treated for overdoses uh, this past Monday night. Uh, It seems like this situation has no end in sight. Uh, We've talked about, uh, you know, trying to not have these drugs get into the jail. I'm not sure what the answer is, but obviously there has to be something that is put in place so this doesn't happen. I mean, I always come to the fact that, you know, why don't corrections officials look at what's happening in other facilities? And if it's working there, why wouldn't it work somewhere else? Exactly. Yes. There's There's been places where they. it's not just about punishment. It's about retraining them, finding out what has led them to be inside or to become an, an addict or whatever the issue is. And retraining that, refocus it. There's another rally that's going to be held May 27th at the Hamilton Wentworth Detention Center. Talk to us about that. What's going to happen? Um, Well, again, in light of all these overdoses, we're going to rally again. But we are also supporting one of our family members from London, Lynn, who is walking from EMDC in London all the way to Queen's Park. And she will be making a stop in Hamilton that day. Wow. And speaking with us, hopefully. Is she also speaking on the lawn of Queen's Park, or is she meeting with Sylvia Jones? Um, As to right now, she doesn't have a meeting with anybody there, but she will hopefully be speaking on the lawn at Queen's Park, and she has a petition for everybody to sign to put corrections back in corrections. What kind of changes on both sides of the bars. What kind of support have you received from, uh, whether it's city officials or, or people just in the community? Um, we have a lot of support from Monique Taylor and Kevin Yard, who is the critic for corrections. Um, I was contacted from somebody who works in the medical field that wants to drop off snacks for us for the rally. She can't join us, so she'd like to drop something off. There, It is becoming, we are getting more positives now. Um, I mean, we do still see a lot of negative, but each rally, we seem to have more and more people come out. And people want to help and spread the word. I was going to say that. I mean, you have, this is going to be the first rally you've held. I mean, there's been a number of rallies, and you're saying that the the crowd or the the group is getting larger as opposed to smaller. Yes, exactly, yep. 
Well, that's a good sign. It obviously means that you know things are moving ahead uh, w- with a growing uh, group. You know that your voice is not uh, falling on deaf ears. Uh, Amy, really appreciate the time today. Best of luck in this pursuit. It, it I- I'm sure there's days where you're thinking, man, we're never going to get anything done. Every day, every day. But we're not going away until there's real change made and this stops. It's This is not just Hamilton. It's all across Ontario. And people don't realize that. They don't realize what's happening in our correctional facilities. Amy? Nobody seems to understand the meaning of corrections anymore. Yeah, it's really fall, fallen by the way, so that's for sure. Amy, appreciate the time. Th- thank you so much. Amy McKechnie, sister to Ryan McKechnie, who died of a uh, drug overdose in 2017 at the Hamilton-Wentworth Detention Center. Again, another rally is being planned outside the Barton Street Jail. Uh, May 27th, 4.30 p.m. is the time. And, man, I, 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 you know, the easy answer is how do these drugs get in into the jail. I mean, if you stop that, which I can't imagine is a very hard thing to do. Well, maybe it is, seeing that we're seeing all these overdoses. But how are other facilities able to do this? So, I I don't know. This seems to be a, a very cut and dry issue to me. Stop these drugs from getting in, and we won't have a problem. And maybe the question is, how are these drugs getting in? And is someone who shouldn't be bringing them in, bringing them in? Again, May 27th, 4.30 p.m. outside the Hamilton-Wentworth Detention Center. If you want to join the growing group of people, many of them family members of the victims who have died or have suffered overdoses in the jail and are still incarcerated, they're going to be rallying outside the Barton Street Jail Uh, later on this month. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Anti-abortion and pro-choice activists were separated on the front lawn of Queen's Park by police as both groups attended the first Toronto March for Life. PC MPPs Sam Oosterhoff, Will Buma and Christine Midas left question period to speak to the anti-abortion group. I'm pro-life because I believe in human rights. Oosterhoff tried ducking questions about whether or not he has the support of the Premier after question period. Do you feel you have the Premier's support since he didn't condemn your, your comments in the Why aren't you answering the question, Sam? Why are you running away, Sam? Sam, come on, answer the question. When he eventually did answer, he quoted a children's book. To quote um, Dr. Zeus, a person's a person, no matter how small. I've always said I'm pro-life. I will always speak for children who are too young to speak for themselves, who have no voice. I will always be a voice for the voiceless. Global News, Queen's Park Bureau Chief Travis Stanraj reporting on local MPP Sam Oosterhoff's controversial comments about abortion earlier this month. Welcome back here to the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin in for Bill all week long. Now, dozens of people protested over the weekend in front of the Grimsby branch of the Royal Canadian Legion following those controversial comments from Sam Oosterhoff. Oosterhoff pledged to make abortion, quote, unthinkable in her lifetime after leaving question period back on May 9th to attend an anti-abortion rally on the front lawn of Queen's Park. And a lot of people were looking at that saying, well, is he speaking for the government here? Later that same day, Oosterhoff tried to duck reporters by hiding in an elevator, but he again eventually spoke to the media, saying that, I have always said that I'm pro-life. I will always speak for children that cannot speak for themselves, who have no voice. I will always be a voice for the voiceless. Now, Premier Ford 
released a statement that day saying, quote, the Ontario PC party is a big tent. We welcome members from a wide variety of backgrounds and beliefs. Our government is focused on protecting what matters most, cleaning up a fiscal mess left behind by the Liberals, making Ontario open for business and open for jobs, and lowering taxes for families. The government will not reopen the abortion debate. Now, Oosterhof's public comments have created more than a stir. With new anti-abortion laws coming into effect in several states in the U.S., his comments have sparked outrage in the community here and has given birth to a group called Handmaid's Local 905. It's the brainchild of Jennifer Batari from Burlington, who invited three friends to join a f- private Facebook group that has quickly ballooned to more than 3,300 members. And many of them protested outside the Grimsby Legion on Saturday at a community coffee event hosted by MPP Sam Oosterhoff. Jennifer Batari is uh, the founder of Handmade Local 905. She joins us now. Good morning, Jennifer. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for calling. What spurred you on to create this Facebook group? It was a combination of things. The Coalition for a Fair Ontario actually sent up a flare last week um, about the event at Sam Oosterhoff's coffee, coffee House. So it was really them that lit the match. But I had already been moved to sort of action by the anti-choice rally at Queen's Park that took place on May 9th when three of our elected MPPs decided to abuse their public office and stand literally on the steps of Parliament and take a faith-based forced birth position. Um, to me, that's absolutely unthinkable. Uh, combined with the, the coordinated attacks on reproductive rights that we saw coming out of the United States last week, it really felt like it was time to get off the sofa and get involved. Was that easy to do? Was that hard to do? Did you have to push that, push yourself towards that, or was this an easy decision for you to make? Because obviously there's a a lot of hard work in that. Um, There is, but this came as a bit of a surprise for me. I actually commented on the coalition's event that they created for the Oosterhof Coffee House and said, hey, why don't I, you know, bring a couple of of handmaids or something like that? And I created a small little private Facebook group thinking I'd maybe get a couple of my closest and craziest. Uh, And we were three people on Wednesday afternoon. And by the time we had to shut the group off and transition to a page, we were almost 4,000. It's incredible. And it speaks to, I think, the the narrative that's out there and the understanding that's out there that there's a lot of women, and not even women, I mean people in general, that are uh, of like mind, that want to push officials to do the right thing. Is that a fair statement? I really do think that's a fair statement because forced birth is not merely a women's issue. It's not even a reproductive rights issue exclusively. It's an economic issue. It's an issue of race. It's an issue of class. It disadvantages entire populations, especially those below us on the privilege ladder, our black, indigenous, people of color, our LGBTQ communities, our trans, sex workers. They've been out there on the field screaming about being erased for generations already. Uh, And when you disadvantage people by forcing them to bear children, they're not prepared for. It's not just those who are bearing children, it's those who support them. So there are whole communities that are missing out on economic participation, on social participation, on the opportunities for education. So really, the forced birth movement isn't about just suppressing women. It's about keeping a subjugate underclass of poor, desperate people in place. Take us back to Saturday's protest. You're outside the Grimsby Legion. Give us your viewpoint of what happened. 
When we went to Grimsby, I actually had no idea who was going to show up. I didn't know if it was just going to be me and maybe two or three close friends standing there in, in, in our red capes all by ourselves. When we arrived, the Coalition for a Fair Ontario were already there, and they brought tremendous energy with them and were very, very generous about teaching my little baby three-day-old movement uh, the ropes of protesting. But we had over 70 handmaids show up as well. Uh, so there were about 10 people inside in the coffee house event, and there were probably 110 of us outside. It was supposed to be a 90-minute event that Mr. Oosterhoff chose to abort after about 25 uh, and tried to leave the event. And, of course, we, we spent a little extra time letting him know what we thought. And you guys were in full dress, too. Some of us were, yeah. We understand, actually, that the handmaid is not necessarily everybody's ideal symbol. It was chosen because it's been so much in the press and so many people already recognize it as a symbol of female subjugation. It's so hard in such a complicated movement where really important con- conversations are being reduced to a soundbite the size of a tweet to try and find a single visual that conveys the most of the message in one time. Um, but yes, a lot of us were fully in, in the, the red dresses and the cloaks and the bonnets. A lot of people were not. It was more important to show up than to dress up, and that's going to be continuing as we, we continue to grow. We're chatting with Jennifer Batari, the founder of Handmaid's Local 905, here on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Rick in for Bill. Now, Sam Oosterhoff didn't address the crowd. Instead, he hopped into a truck. It was blocked by protesters. Police had to come and, you know, clear a path. Should he have said something to the crowd? I really don't know, uh, given what his public position on the issue now is, that there's anything he could have said that would have been productive. Uh, He eventually released a statement saying that his event had been hijacked by a single-issue protest group which, as we've already said, we're not a single issue. It's many, many issues. Uh, So it was kind of a disappointing response, but it really was exactly what we expected. Sounds like he's just trying to brush the group aside. It really does. And I'm I'm pretty high up the privilege ladder being a middle-class white cis hat woman. Um, Many below me are so accustomed to being brushed aside uh, that I I think it's really time that we all get get out there, march together, and make it a little harder to brush us aside. One of the things that uh, Oosterhoff said back on May 9th outside Queen's Park was, quote, I'm pro-life because I believe in human rights, uh, which is <laughs> sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? It really does, because if we really, if we, we treat the pro-life movement as being about saving children, then we'd be doing a lot more for the people who are already out in the world among us. Uh, instead, we're cutting funding to education. We're cutting funding to special needs children, particularly the autistic kids. We're also cutting funding through health care. We've got a trans community that's been told that their, their transitional procedures are no longer going to be covered and things are being canceled. We don't actually care about saving people. The saving babies people are also pawns in the movement. The actual real momentum in the forced birth movement is not just about saving babies. It's, as I said, about maintaining um, a wealthy, mostly male, white patriarchy and keeping that in place. So the people whose faith is being manipulated to make them believe that it's a single issue are every bit as much pawns as the rest of us. Jennifer Batari is the founder of Handmaid's Local 905. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin in for Bill this week. Are you concerned that what's happening in the U.S. is going to make its way up here? I absolutely am. And the reason that I am is because for those of us who have been alive for long enough, to witness what happened in Afghanistan in the 70s, where women went from having near full participation 
um, right back to the Stone Age. And it happened by degrees for them as well. It began uh, as single issues here and there. And the, the coverage that it got here in North America was that these were brutal tribal leaders. Um, and yet what we're seeing now, the only things that are different in the story as we're seeing it unfold coming out of the States are the color of the actors and the word for God. This is the exact same process repeating itself again. So we have a federal election in this country this fall. Do you think abortion is going to be among the topics that our our leaders are going to want to touch? We're going to make sure that it is. What are some of the next steps that Handmaid's Local 905 is going to be undertaking? At this time, we already have our list of anti-choice MPs and our list of anti-choice MPPs. Uh, and we tend to be, we're, we're planning to be anywhere they are as we start looking at the incoming candidates. And we are going to have to spend some time paying particular attention to those coming in for the regressive conservative party because this forced birth movement is actually a hidden plank in the platform of the conservative parties on both sides of the border. It's a coordinated effort, and we need to get the word out there that this forced birth, even if your candidate hasn't spoken to it, if they are a member of the Regressive Conservative Party, it is part of their platform, whether they speak to it or not. Jennifer, really appreciate the time. Good luck with the movement and stay in touch. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again, Jennifer. Again, you can find more on their Facebook page, Handmaid's Local 905. Again, it started with three friends. It was a private Facebook group at the time as these Three individuals got together to say, hey, we, I mean, we got to do something here. These these comments from our area MPP, Sam Oosterhoff, go a little too far. I mean, is he speaking for the government or is he just sharing his personal opinion? The response from the government was uh, kind of lax. I mean, they didn't outright come out and, and condemn Oosterhoff for making those comments. They did not come out and say, hey, you know, this does not reflect the opinion and the stance and the belief of the Ontario PC Party. All the government came out and said is that the Ontario PC Party is a big tent, and we welcome members from a wide variety of backgrounds and beliefs. That's all fine and good, but you can't have individuals like Sam Oosterhoff getting out on the front lawn of Queen's Park during an anti-abortion rally and say, this is my belief. Because he represents the Ontario PC Party. He's representing the Ontario government. I mean, that 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 stuff can be said behind closed doors in caucus. That's allowed. That That's the area where this conversation should be had. But for an MPP to come out on the front line of Queen's Park and participate in this rally and give the views that he has. I'm not saying he's not entitled to his opinion. But he has a a a crest on his suit, if you will, to say, I am an official with the Ontario government, and here's what I believe. Uh, that's, that's a no-go zone. That should not have happened. And for the government to not come out and quickly condemn the actions of Mr. Oosterhoff I think was a a big-time failure from the Ford government. Yeah, it's all fine and well that they're saying that they're not going to reopen the abortion debate and that they're focused on 
you know, cleaning up the financial mess of this province, opening the province for business, lowering taxes for families. That's all well and good. But what the government and ultimately what the premier should have done is to come out and say, hey, listen, uh, you know, our MPP, Sam Oosterhoff, went over the line in expressing his views at that venue. And there should have been some repercussions there. There should have been some hard-line stance. It just can't be done. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, this handmade local 905 kind of morphs into. And I'm sure they're going to continue to protest wherever Mr. Oosterhoff goes. There was an instance at the Grimsby Royal Canadian Legion in which a bunch of the protesters, a bunch of the people that were out there, gathered around the truck that he hopped into because after 20 or 30 minutes of his community coffee event, which he had to scrap because, you know, things were getting a little hectic inside, hops into a truck, but it was surrounded by these protesters, and, well, it took some time before police got there and kind of cleared the scene. So he's, he's going to be followed around a little bit. He's going to be dogged by these comments. And I don't get the impression that he's going to backtrack from his stance because, well, he, he believes what he believes. He is the voice for the voiceless, as he says, that he's pro-life. Again, that's all well and good, but you just can't do that on the front lawn at Queen's Park. We'll stay on top of this story because, well, it's important to the community. No ifs, ands, or buts. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.